you are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are at the Recime di Lavaredo. Luckily I had the legs to respond to Primoz when he went and uh, then it was a bit of cat and mouse. I went 400 to go and uh, after about 100 meters I realized that's a long way at altitude. Um, but yeah, and then just tried to, to press onto the line and uh, so yeah, a decent day. Yeah, uh, Roglic snuck three seconds at the end. Is that a worry? And do you think that's got to do with his bike change? Ah, I wouldn't say it's a worry, but uh, you know, he came past me and I was just sort of like, Phew. kind of almost thought I was at the line. But when it's that steep, you've got to keep pushing. And I was like, oh, blimey, still need to get there. But uh, no, yeah, uh, the bike change and stuff, yeah, I think the, you know, their bike's on the weight limit and ours is pretty close as well. So. But uh, yeah, it's just all down to tomorrow now. Yeah, tomorrow, uh, anything, uh, what are you going to do? Your bike change, what's the second bike going to be? Well, it's just, uh, you know, we'll start on the TT bike, jump onto the road bike, and then, uh, like we have, same one I've been riding here, and uh, yeah, it'll just be 5K at like 15% or something crazy. So just um, try and pace it all the way to the line. It's a decent advantage, you know, I'd rather have that than have the deficit, but uh, it's going to be super hard, you know, Primoz is riding really well, Almeida is great at pacing himself, so it's certainly not over, I'm just going to have to, uh, yeah, get up there as quickly as I can. It's a bit of an unknown, because it's, you know, we hardly ever do a mountain time trial, so uh, it's definitely different, but uh, it's the same for everyone, and um, we'll see how we go. It was fun, and tomorrow we go full again, huh? Thank you. Yeah, 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 it's good, huh? Uh, Got a bit legs back, so uh, yeah. Uh, tomorrow we go full on. Uh, I mean, if, if I wouldn't be confident that I don't start, uh, so of course, uh, and uh, yeah, the best one at the end. Beach, uh. <laughs> well, buonasera, 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 Daniel. Il barone, what we heard there, what we heard oh, first, still hearing. what we heard first. <laughs> was Geraint Thomas and Primoz Roglic beautifully setting up tomorrow's big showdown on the Monte Rosari. And what we heard after that was some new friends we've made. And we're sitting just, well, on the shore of Lago di Misurina, just at the bottom of the Trecime di Lavaredo climb. And we've got some Czech cyclotourists. They're from the unchecked who, Republic. Yeah, and then look as though they're drinking in fairly unchecked fashion as well. They've got some, I think they're on the second or third bottle of Prosecco. Um, yeah, and they understood that, didn't <laughs> they? That they understood that. Um, cheers. cheers, 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 guys. Cheers, guys. Um, Primo, no, no, <laughs> we're not translating that. Brian. Well, yes, Daniel. I'd said that we heard from Garrett Thomas and Primus Roglic head of tomorrow is a fantastic we think it's going to be a fantastic showdown tomorrow on the Monte Lusari and well didn't today just set it up perfectly because exactly. we saw a fantastic finale in a fantastic extraordinary grandiose setting and we're in a grandiose setting now because I mentioned Lago di Misurina we're also looking if we it's look right behind to you. Yes, if we look to my left, your right, Brian, we see the group of the Sorapis, um, one of the most famous mountain massifs in the Dolomites. The, yes, the word, the toponym does come from 
piss urinating um i've checked this um but it's one of the like most distinctive your voice. yes <laughs> it's one of the most distinctive shaped mountain massives can you describe it brian i said this you set you this very difficult task yesterday with the pelmo um, yeah but the, the, the bearing in mind it's the english isn't your first language it's very inter- difficult. the interesting thing about this one is that it sort of has a plateau if you look at at its uh, horizontal lines but there's all kind of, it looks like uh because the depths of vision here is quite clear today. It it looks like twenty mountains just like stacked next to each other, and this this snow just um, em- the emphasis of all the shadows, the snow, glimpses of clouds, little bit of scattered sunshine, ref- sunshine reflecting in the snow. It's it is it is the most spectacular place in any mountain uh, scenario for bike riding. The Do- Dolomites are just absolutely incredible. Dino Buzzato could not have said it better I'm himself. I'm pretty sure he could. I'm sure he couldn't, Brian. I'm sure he couldn't. But what a day we've had. Well, stage winner, we haven't mentioned him yet. Santiago Buitrago. But he was only one half of the story today, wasn't he? Well, there were many stories. There were many threads to, that we will pull on tonight. And, Brian, I propose that we start, we, we get our teeth into this episode very early on. And we hear from one of the protagonist one of the undoubted protagonists of today's stage i think you probably have guessed who i'm talking about it's a very familiar voice on the cycling podcast well then if my voice is not very clear right now it's because i was screaming at him when he uh when he was riding right past where i was standing i felt like i was like on the roadside cheering on our larry i'm unwittingly posing for a photo with our czech fans yes larry warbass the motown maestro lucky larry Age de zer citroen he's been sending his postcards from italy throughout this giro d'italia and brian let's preface the tale of the tapa as we sometimes do with today's installment of la rantana very relevant to what occurred later we talk about breakaways how to get into breakaways how larry hoped to get into one today here's today's la ranzando la ranzando a postcard from italy with larry warbass larry last swing of the bat today how did you try and psych yourself up well you know that the breakaway is your goal isn't it is yeah. it have you been watching david goggins videos on the bus this morning how do you giving yourself a pep talk how do you psych yourself up? watching coach taylor videos from friday night lights that's what i do no, the only, thing, the only thing I've been watching uh, this year is Ted Lasso. So uh, I just started the latest season, which is obviously a great series. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I wasn't doing anything particularly to psych myself up, which maybe is a problem. I don't know. <laughs> You're looking too zen to me, Larry, this morning. Get in that bus and start slapping yourself in the face. Um, I don't know, put your head in a basin cold of cold water. water. What are the prospects of break today? I, I think a lot of people are quite pessimistic because so much of the stage is climbing yeah i mean i think it's really hard to know you know it's like if you have good legs in the break then anything's possible but uh i mean we'll definitely see a big battle in the gc group whether that's also for the stage win or just for uh the general at the end you know i mean i guess some people think maybe the guys aren't going to go too crazy because the tt is so hard tomorrow but uh i mean if i was going for the GC and fighting for the podium, I'm sure I would still be trying today. So um, we'll see. The thing is, is like you could see a lot of the big teams retired yesterday, you know, aside from Sepp Kuss. Uh, and then, I mean, the Ineos guys are super strong, but they still only have a couple guys who are really there in the mountains. So, yeah, I mean, you never know. It could be just 
uh, one by one uh, total war at the end. So, um, you know, the thing is, everyone's going to be trying for the break. It's like 60k flat, and it's the last day. Flatish, flatish. It's kind of yeah, one percent or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's up valley, right? But I'm uh, expecting a battle. The the modus operandi of getting into a break. Has yours pretty much remained constant over the years? Have you always had a, one strategy that you've stuck to? Or is it something that you chop and change? Like, even in the course of a, the same three-week tour, you think, ah, I tried, yesterday I tried being in this part of the peloton, tomorrow I'm going to try that part of the peloton. Or Yeah, it's something that I've changed a lot, you know? It's like, I remember two years ago I said, okay, every time I'm just going to follow the first the first attack of the day because, like, there's always one or two that will go the first attack of the day. And then that didn't work for me for, like, you know, half of the race. And I said, okay, today that's really stupid. You know, I'm not going to do that. And then the first one went, you know. So uh, it's always something that you're changing, you're, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, not, it's kind of funny. For a while I tried to get really analytical about it, you know. I was like, okay, it's a small road here. They're going to block there, whatever. But then once, like, Velovir came out, and uh, I wasn't the only one looking on Google Maps and, like, finding all the little pinch points and stuff, uh, now everyone is expecting at, you know, 37K when we hit the small road, they're going to block, you know. So it's like everyone's ready, and then it, the problem is then it doesn't block because everyone's trying there too. So um, it's even, I would say, it's changed a bit over the years um, because now everyone has all the same information, whereas now before you, you had to look harder. Yeah, now so, you need a, a mystic or yeah, a, exactly. a fortune so, teller. So now I try to be, you know, a little bit more feely about it, you know. I try to just sit up there at the front and watch what's happening. Just uh, wait for the muse. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, uh, I haven't exactly been uh, the world's greatest breakaway goer this this hero, but at the same time, it you know takes some really really good legs. Like yesterday, uh, yeah. I mean, I was watching, but then once you get to the climb, if you aren't among the probably twenty best climbers, uh, you're not going to be in it. So um, today, I think there's a chance. Uh, if you're not a god, it's still possible. Uh, so <laughs> the human Larry Warbass will be looking for it, that's for sure. But See you out there, Larry. Well, Brian, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I know that Larry, is a, he's a very diligent, he's an assiduous student of bike racing, physiology, training, preparing for stages. And, well, we heard him there talk about how Velo viewer and access to that kind of thing. Velo viewer, we talk about a lot on the podcast. It's sort of eroded part of his natural advantage, but well, didn't didn't stop him today. Did nothing was going to stop Larry. Not well, Santiago Butrago and a few others. But, but um, other than that, but Larry was a man on a mission. Brian, let's hear about that mission in the tale of the tapper. Take it away, Brian. It's time for the tale of the tapper. Thank you, Daniel. So, stage 19 from Longarone to Trecime di Lavaredo, 183 kilometers. Attacks from the gun, and importantly, one of the, those who, who slung his guns today was Motown maestro Larry Warbazzi. Group of 12 went away, a few riders joined, Ben Healy tried, Pinot tried, and uh, but the peloton computer said no. 14 riders got away. Quite a mixed bag of, of various types of bike riders, including Rojas, who's like an all-rounder, Carlos Verona, who's a climber, Magnus Cord, who's all kinds of types of bike riders in one. Either way, they went up the road, they got a significant gap, and as they were sort of taking care of those mountain points that Pinot wasn't able to get today, Derek G was one of the one of the, the riders vacuuming up whatever points of... Uh, 
Um, so we were all thinking there would be a great showdown on the Paso Jao. There wasn't really. There wasn't really. The the first sort of explosion in the in the breakaway happened on the Tre Croce. And it was actually also there when the rain started. Uh, someone is putting a beer on my table. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. Anyways, uh, so Warbass has tried and he got a gap uh, with 70, 17 kilometers to go, 29 seconds. And this is actually the same uh, instant that Roglic changed bikes down in the main group. Caught uh, and Butrago bridged up, uh, and uh, unfortunately, the Warbass got dropped on the Tre Croce. Away went Santiago Butrago. Magnus Cord and Derek G. Can I just say what? Can I just describe what Larry tried to do to Derek G? He yes. Just hit. He just hit the east side of the Dolomite on a mission trying to drop Mr. Derek G. Ah, oh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. If we didn't have to pay like <laughs> copyrights to play the song, that would be the time. So, here's the situation on Trekorchi. The gap was four minutes to the breakaway. Thomas had Aaron's manager plus. Rockledge had Kuss, Dennis, and Rock Almeida was down to just McNulty to help him out. The big uh, group was the main group was quite big as they passed Lake Misrina where we're sitting now. In front, Derek G uh, alone. Buitrago seven seconds behind, and then Santiago Buitrago, Da Drago, went and caught Derek G and blew away as a little leaf in the wind to take the stage win. I had all my bird references ready for a Derek G victory. The birds that yeah. are native to the, some of the fauna that's native to the Trecimili Lavarero that's common up there. And most of them, unfortunately, I don't know how to pronounce. They're ravens, golden eagles, Hubriscan, rock, Potomigan. Sorry to all ornithologists yeah. <laughs> and to Derek G for that appalling attempt. Anyways, back in the main group, Dunbar was struggling and uh, Almeida took the front. Then Roglic attacked, Thomas went on his wheel, Almeida got dropped. He clawed his way back, and uh, the big three were alone on the last kilometer. Any last kilometer you think, well, that's just going to end like that, not on Trecimi Lavaredo. With 400 meters to go, Thomas went, Almeida started to suffer, Roglic came back, and he did a, a minuscule Roglificacino, and he took... <laughs> Roglificazione. He took, uh, he took one second for each of the Chimio up there, so three seconds he... Um, he clawed back from uh, Thomas in the GC. He was foiled by Magnus Court, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I think uh, Garen Thomas, he owes Magnus Court either like some shaving cream or a case of beer. So that was the situation. So all very sort of dramatic until the end. And, and that definitely kept the tension in the race. They kept the race wide open for tomorrow and uh, very much looking forward to it. Daniel. Well, Brian, there was some other movement on general classification, some significant movement as well, because... Joao Almeida was struggling slightly, wasn't he? On After particularly those Roglic salvos and that Geraint Thomas attack. And he conceded a significant amount of time. Uh, an amount of time which will lead us to question whether he's still in the race to win this Giro d'Italia. He's now 59 seconds down on Geraint Thomas tonight. Um, Eddie Dunbar, unfortunately, lost even more time. He started losing ground, well, further down the mountain, and he ended up finishing 13th, three minutes and three seconds behind Santiago Buitrago. And Dunbar now loses a place on general classification. He drops below Damiano Caruso. Dunbar is now four minutes and 53 seconds behind Thomas. And Caruso is four minutes, 11 seconds. Thibaut Pino has gained a place on general classification. He's now five minutes, 10 seconds 
um, behind. So he's got a chance tomorrow of leapfrogging Dunbar, you would think. And Tymon Aronsman is also, well, he moved up two places there. He did a fantastic ride. He kept bouncing yeah, back. He came he? back very strongly on the last deeper parts of Trecime. But in general, I mean, the Paul de Lance de Plus yes. did for Garen Thomas. Yeah. MVP. Yes. Um, not not for the first time, actually, in nope. this Giro d'Italia. So, Brian, that's the general classification dealt with. Of course, of course, we're going to talk a lot more about that ahead of tomorrow's big sort-out, big Clash of the Titans, um, battle for, fight for pink, as RCS always like to talk about at the Giro d'Italia. Well, it was. But let's focus first on that marvellous effort from our beloved Lucky Larry Warbass, the Motown maestro. Of course, I spoke to him after the finish briefly, um, but particularly when you hear me refer here to the Hail Mary in Cortina, that was the final attack. That was the moment probably, Brian, when you were losing your voice in the press room, screaming at... Outside the press room, on the road, if um, I may add. Oh, really? Oh, of course, of course. Here is Larry, a very delighted Larry. Larry's always smiling, but he was um, he was delighted to have had this day out today. Of course, he would have liked to win the stage, but it wasn't to be. It will be Larry's day, I'm sure, at a Grand Tour very soon. That crushed me. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, you spent a lot of energy in the first hour, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, we got out there and I said, well, now we just have to stay, do the bit max, and then I knew I, I, knew I had good legs this whole zero. But I never really got a chance to show myself. So today I wanted to do my best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, in the end, like, uh, yeah, there were guys stronger. And I think that first hour took a lot out of me. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I at least got a good day out. I did my best. And I'll come back to the Vuelta and win a stage there. <laughs> Tell me about the Hail Mary in Cortina. I guess you'd, well, you tried everything and then you thought, well, why not um why not try and anticipate i knew the thing was i was like already hurting on the last climb and i knew like uh just for my head like for my motivation if i got out front i i, I would be way stronger so i just uh i i saw i had a gap i hit him and then i rode my tempo and i think that really helped me get over that climb um in the group and then it was just like getting drop coming back getting drop coming back getting drop coming back but yeah, I mean, I'm proud of my race today. I don't think I could have done anything more. We're proud of you. Well done, mate. <laughs> Thanks. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast at the Giro d'Italia once again. They've in fact supported us continuously since May 2016 and we're very grateful to them for their support. They've kept us on the road and while on the road, Daniel and Brian have no doubt been referring to Il Garibaldi, the road book which gives them all the information they need to cover the race and make their way around Italy. The riders get a copy as well. And I asked Pavel Sivakov of the Ineos Grenadiers if any of the stages stood out. To be fair, I, I take day by day. I'm not looking too far ahead. Um, I just know that the last week is going to be yeah, basically super, super hard. It's looking at the stages there. I think in, we have like uh, the second last week, uh, the second week we have one 5,000 meter, uh, over 5,000 meter of climbing day. And then in the last week we have two days. So 
yeah, basically these days are going to be yeah the most important for JC for everyone. Uh, but now there's one stage, not fearful, but one stage that actually looks crazy for me is that last TT. That that looks, yeah, is for me even like these five thousand meter stages don't look as crazy as that. Um, it's just yes, last second last day, and that's super hard climb. Uh, if I would be like a sprinter, I would be I would be scared of that because uh, I don't know what the time limits are gonna be there. But if they make it quite tight, then it's gonna be for, for some guys quite complicated to to go to go in the time limit with that last climb. Ineos Grenadiers are supported by Science in Sport 2. If you would like to get your hand on the beta fuel gel designed to improve or maintain peak cognitive performance for when the demands are at their most physical, go to scienceinsport.com. Yeah, I was climbing well even before the Giro, but I got, just got sick. It just cut me that second week, really, you know. Well, Brian, that was a pretty chipper looking and sounding Mark Cavendish when he crossed the line on the Trecime di Lavaredo. Um, he came in safely in 108th place. In fact, 41 minutes down, uh, there were 20-odd riders who finished later than him. Alberto Dainese was the last rider to finish. Hugh he had Carthy. two uh, teammates with him there, didn't he? Moscon and Scaloni. Yes, yes. Um, you heard him there talking about how he'd been ill throughout the second week and uh, prior to that, it felt as though he was climbing very well. But any fears about Mark Cavendish not making it to Rome appear to be misplaced at this point. Um, Jonathan, Great testimony to his shape, really. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Jonathan Milan came in another three minutes, or two minutes further back. Um, but Brian, I should have also just mention, did you mention Hugh Carthy not starting? He's no, been but sick. I can actually see that now. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he has been sick over the last few days, which, you know, was... You would not necessarily have noticed from the way he's been riding. He's been sort of, he had been maintaining his position on general classification. But Brian, let's talk about the battle for the stage victory and Santiago Buitrago, who, well, he snuck up on Derek G. He snuck up on Larry. There was something inevitable about Buitrago winning this stage, not least because he'd had a quiet race. He was a guy who, at the start of this race, well, he'd won a stage last year at the similar point in last year's race in the final week. Um, I thought that he would go very well this year and he's been quiet. He's been doing a lot of work for Damiano Caruso, admittedly. Um, do you think what also, do you, want, do you want to know what also played a big factor today? Gravity. Santiago Butrago is 59 kilos. He is as pure, I mean, only a, a real climber or a GC candidate could win here. And he he is as, as much of a pure climber as you can possibly be. You know, lives in Bogota, was born in Bogota, lives in Colombia. He's 59 kilos. He's he's really a, like a classic Colombian super climber. Yeah, and he's got that classic Colombian low cadence as well. Very still on the bike. There was a real contrast between his style and Derek G's Derek style. G's probably, Derek probably didn't even hear him. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, who was that? And... Um, he there were all kinds of fans running next to Rise. Maybe you thought it was a child coming up from behind <laughs> trying to cheer at him for the win. <laughs> they um that group well, it did contain a few sort of class class climbers, particularly Carlos Verona, I thought might be a threat at one point, but um Butrago was the one who you always felt would pose the biggest threat. And Derek G, I mean he's obviously got sensational legs. Didn't talk to him. I didn't manage to at the finish today. Um I don't think anyone talked to him because he finally today 
Um, this is this was his fourth second place, and finally he looked really disappointed today because you know, on the pre- three previous occasions he, well, as we've heard on the podcast, he's been wide-eyed and relishing, reveling in every moment of this Giro d'Italia. That, at least that's what it's looked like. Whereas today, I think finally the cumulative frustration of the second place is kicked in and gravity has been his only enemy hasn't it in these particularly there are three mountain stages where he's come pretty close and that is again a testimony to how well he has been riding so listen not to take anything away from Buitrago's win because that was extremely well deserved massive massive win for him I think a lot of cycling fans as a journalist you're trying not to be one but it's hard not to feel very not sorry because this is a professional sport but Derek G deserves to win a huge bike race after what he I mean he's just been the breakthrough of the Giro really it's going to be fascinating to see what he goes on to do because he's a he's a rider with an unusual trajectory and an unusual career path up to this point um I was reading a bit about him earlier today um he's he's a very clever chap um, he was on the dean's list at Queen's University in Canada, um, which well, tells you how how smart he is. Um, Were you on the dean's list too? I, I was actually. What does that actually mean? It means you you know you're sort of top tier. You're top of the class. So sure. we're top, not top of the not the number one in your year, but you're in the top echelon. You know, I don't know. Um, you as well. I was okay, all one. of us. <laughs> no, oh, just kidding. But can um, I just, just one? On. Can I just interject the notion at this point? Life Speaking, sciences he studied, by the way. Sorry, go on. Well, there's a good future in that, but I think you'll probably stay professional cycling in cycling for a while. Speaking of gravity, can I just say that on the biggest mountain stage of the Giro, Magnus Court was third. Yes. And How's he, that all about? Yes, and he also might have played a very key role in the destiny. He could of potentially this Giro decide the the podium of the Giro d'Italia. Yes, we'll, we'll hear a bit more about that later. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Derek G does next. Um, because he's a pursuiter and we've seen that he can climb. Okay, he was beaten by a more natural climber today. But who knows? There might be there might be sort of one-week stage races, the general classification in one-week stage races um, on his horizon. The, the, what about the incident with the AG2R team car? I didn't ask Larry about this. Was it the AG two R team car? Yeah, was, I only saw it on on social I think media. They were kicked out. Yeah, there was a, there, there was a there then? was a well, they don't come back. There's two. I mean, there's there's levels of sanctions, right? You can basically be pulled out of the race for a day, or you can be pulled out for the remainder of the race. I find I found myself wondering what I should have asked Larry this. What had happened as regards feeding and because presumably, well, there were two AG two R riders in that front group. Yeah. Does that mean that he was without a team car in the last... If that team car was pulled aside and were told, like, basically, you're out of the race, he would have been without. I'm, but how, on the other hand, I'm quite sure that having been in the breakaway for so long, basically since the start of the stage, I think other team cars would have helped him in case he needed something. And this was for a collision with Carlos Verona. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Which didn't, which did or didn't, no, it did put Carlos Verona on the deck because I saw Carlos Verona's it shorts did. were It did, ripped. yeah. Brian... We're going to have to get on to the general classification. Good but for them that Verona is such a gentleman, by the way. Yes. Um, they couldn't have picked a more gentlemanly rider to to do that to. Brian, 
we're going to have to get onto the general classification in just a minute. Before we do, let's have a bit of a pause here. In fact, in fact, let's have a pausa cappuccino. It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Pronto, Lionel. Ciao, Daniel. Where are you? Are you in the Dolomites? Buongiorno. Yes, I'm on the Dolomites. I'm under the Trecima di Lavaredo, which is a huge disappointment because when you come here, you can only see one sometimes, at best two, um, which is a, a, a very unusual, I don't know, it's a strange trompe l'oeil, as they say in the art world. But um, do, Lionel, do you I've get, got... Do you uh, get some kind of badge or sticker if you can see all three, complete the set? Is that how it works? I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> like one of those, what are those, what are those guys called? The Sangle de Mont Ventoux. If you do all three sides of Mont Ventoux in a day, you get a special badge or something, or a rosette or something, don't you? Indeed. Um, Lionel, I've got a surprise for you. Say hello to someone. Lionel, Ciro here from the top of Cime di Lavaredo. Ciao, oh, ciao, my friend. Ciro, you sound out of your comfort zone there too high yeah, yeah no 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 my my comfort zone my friend is very far from here i can assure you <laughs> are you well no are you okay uh not bad and you yes uh, the stage number 22 on monday is becoming closer and closer so i'm really good what do you yeah, yeah. what do you do on monday chiro do you do you have some time off or do you still have stories to write on monday after the duro Yes, unfortunately, uh, my holidays for the real holidays, I have to wait the 8th of June. So, I mean, uh, a four week and a half uh, in a certain way, I will try to, to survive as uh, Jonathan Milan has to survive today. It's the same thing. He's just been deep in conversation with Vincenzo Nibali, who's up here. Of course, the last winner up here. Um, we, I think we'd both like to know what was being discussed. We've also seen the Peacock of San Rigo, Filippo Pozzato, yeah. um, he's been competing in the E-Giro, the electric Giro today. Uh, we've just seen him struggling up this hill, motor-powered, um, in a green project. He's competing for green project. They have a team in the E-Giro. Yeah. Um, a very incongruous sight. I've never seen him with that many logos, certainly not on the bike, um, on his attire. I've seen him with a few sort of Dolce Gabbana logos um, <laughs> sprayed all over his casual wear, but not green project extremely well that was Pozzato out of context so maybe ask Chiro what he was talking about with Nibali yeah yes and uh, well I well there are obviously some secrets uh, between me and uh, uh, my shadow for 15 years but we spoke also a little bit about the 10 years ago finish here and the strange thing is that I did remember more or less anything about his stage win. The fact is that also Vincenzo Nibali didn't remember anything. Imagine that I asked him, Vincenzo, do you remember, for example, when was the press conference? No, no. And he told me that, ah, I thought that this uh, climb, uh, I had the impression that uh, now is longer than 10 years ago, so completely, uh, uh, out of his mind in a certain way in a clear shark style <laughs> amazing Chira scuffled off as he always does scuffled off down the hill I was going to say misery, yeah, towards the, Miserina the, where the press room is 8 kilometers away uh, other winners here Daniel Ricardo Rico yes. in 2007 I think is that right yeah 
I remember we that saw in the some, distance. Yeah, we saw his name painted on the road. I don't know if that was someone being ironic. 2000, that was the last time, well, I was up here that day. Um, that was the last time I was up here, in fact. But the crowds line was sensational, um, especially Slovenians on the oh, climb. Interesting. Uh, we're obviously pretty close to the Slovenian border, much closer to the Slovenian border than we are to Wales, so that would explain why Geraint Thomas was very much outnumbered, and Joao Almeida, of course, as well. Portugal, indeed. Pretty indeed. Yeah, I mean, for all my joking about the Dolomites and my confusion about where they are and what constitutes a Dolomite, it's, it is the sort of symbol of the Giro d'Italia, isn't it? The the rock is instantly recognisable. I can remember as a teenager opening a book by Graham Watson called The Visions of Cycling and there was a, a stunning you know photograph what? of Val Gardena and that is what? just burned in my Wigelius. mind, really. Charlie Wigelius said exactly the same thing to me yesterday. The EF Education Easy Post direct sportive unprompted. He, he was standing contemplating the Monte Pelmo, which we talked about in yesterday's podcast. And he said, you know, I had a book when I was younger, a Graham Watson book, and that was the picture on the cover. Yeah, there's something about the the Dolomites and the, the, those early sort of you know, adventures in print, really, discovering the Giro. I actually spoke to Graham a bit about this during our Giro a few years ago, um, which people can look up. If they want to find any of our back catalogue, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and there is a playlist of every single episode we've ever released on there. Just, just quickly on the Dolomites, Brian and I were having a conversation in the car today about how it's, it's sort of consistently disappointed me in the last few years that the, there's been a, a larger helping of Alps, i.e. the sort of western sort of Alps um, up towards Badonecchia and bordering France than the Dolomites. And you know, these are the iconic mountains of the Giro d'Italia. And I feel that we should, the, the main chunk of mountains in every Giro three or four days should be in the Dolomites not just one day or one and a half we've had two really this year but I really feel that we should be spending three or four days here in every year's edition I'm with you on that I'm with you on that one other bit of news that you might not know already Daniel Teo Gagan Hart tweeted a photograph this morning or was it on Instagram I can't remember which social media platform it was but he's got his hands on a Fossombroni shirt the iconic I asked him yeah, ah. the iconic jersey. I asked him whether he could explain how that came about, and I was hoping he would send us a voice message that we could include in the podcast, but his re- he replied with one word, magic. <laughs> well, at least you've got a reply. I haven't had a reply yet. There we are. That, that's that's. Uh, <laughs> well, I haven't checked, to be fair, for the last half an hour. Maybe he's replied to say magic to me as well, but uh, very nice-looking football shirt. I think cycling jersey design could take some inspiration from the Fossombroni jersey I think sort of concentric circles isn't it uh, slightly off centre for those uh, trying to describe it in audio for people who haven't seen it but Teo Gagenhart's Instagram is where you'll find a picture of that jersey which well it was the star of the opening week of the Giro wasn't it because it was uh, that was more, almost more interesting than some of the racing early on in the Giro but here we are with what an hour or so is racing left to go this afternoon and it is hotting up Daniel so I better let you go and keep your eyes on the race Speak tomorrow, Lionel. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Hi, Brian. That was Lionel, Ciro, and me up on the top of the Trecime di Lavaredo climb. And that was before the action that unfolded in the general classification group. Um, It was a day of real attrition, wasn't it? It's been a Giro of real attrition. Just 
you know, it, I think it took watching the stage in full to fully appreciate how difficult today, how yeah. brutal, how savage today was. Sepp Kuss was asked at the finish, Brian, um, we won't hear from him today. He was asked why Jumbo Visma didn't try anything earlier. And, you know, when you saw the riders on the Passo Jao and you think about all the climbing they've done in Studio Italia, all the bad weather they've faced as well. And and I'd also well, driven up the final climb up to the Trecimi di Lavaredo. Um, it really, it wouldn't have crossed my mind, I must say, if I'd been in the Jumbo Visma team car and any other team car to risk my general classification I was about to leader say, I can, I can answer from, that on his behalf yeah. as well. Why didn't they attack? Why didn't they do anything? Because they want to win the bike race. They want to have the pink jersey in Rome. You know, it's not professional wrestling. They, they, you know, they're actually here to, to make a result. And something I, I thought was quite, illustrates how hard this stage was, was when Garen Thomas said that, ah, uh, you know, I went at 400 meters to land. That was probably a little bit too early. I think that's a massive testimony to how hard those last kilometers were. You could win or lose the Giro in the last 500 meters of this stage. That is a very, very significant statement. But Brian, what conclusions, thinking ahead to tomorrow, and we're going to hear from, well, the respective riders, direct sportifs in a minute, Roglic's and Garant Thomas's. What conclusions did you draw from that final climb in particular and what we're likely to see tomorrow? And who's, who has the advantage? Besides the 26 seconds, is it now? That's tw 26 seconds that separates two riders on general classification. It's quite rare that you look forward to... A time trial. Yeah, time trial. But the nature of tomorrow, we'll, I mean, we'll look at it in detail in the last part of the podcast. But imagine that uh, either Roglic or Garen Thomas had won with, say, 45 seconds. And it, there would have been a, a significant gap in the GC. We would have thought, oh, then a lot happened on the stage and the and the Giro winner probably came out on top of Trecimi di Lavaredo. But the situation now is it's going to be probably one of the most intense thrillers for the overall winner this Giro that you can imagine. So I'm very happy that it's close. You know, yeah, obviously it would have been fantastic if something had happened on the, on the, on the Giro and that they challenged each other more. But I think they found out and they found out already yesterday that they are so close and they are probably almost... Yeah, at the same level, physically. So everything will be down to that time trial tomorrow. And I think that's that's a blessing. Because it could have also been a, not a dull affair. It's going to be quite spectacular because of the difficulties of the climb tomorrow. But now it actually means that we have completely open race, at least for the win of the overall Giro. Potentially also with three riders, but definitely two riders with Roglic and Karen Thomas all, you know, all to, all to be either won or lost tomorrow. Brian, we talked quite a bit yesterday and I think as well the day before about this idea of certain riders, certain climbers being suited to certain types of climb and this preconception that Primoz Roglic likes steeper climbs, which I think I think is true, but there's also been the suggestion that Garrett Thomas does not like slopes like the ones we saw today and he disproved that. Totally, he? yeah. He did. I think he surprised a lot of people today as well, especially when he did his attack. That I mean, he was trying to do what Roglic usually does to others. I mean, Roglic did come back on him and, and took those three seconds, but nothing that would sort of, I mean, it would have been more significant. It would have been more dangerous if Court hadn't taken those bonus seconds for finishing third. I mean, I think it's looking really good for Garen Thomas, but no, no one can tell at this point anyways who, who's the favorite for tomorrow. I certainly can't. 
it, it might be a matter of personal preference judgment but i always attach a lot of importance to sprints at the end of even mountain stages um i always think that if someone you know beats a rival in a sprint often it's just because of their natural characteristics they're faster riders but it does generally signify that they have got energy to spare and i think i just think that the momentum is shifting slightly towards Roglic whether he runs out of road um, and he may well run out of road in this Giro d'Italia maybe if the Giro was two days longer then we'd see a continuation of this trend and he would overcome Geraint Thomas but so here's why I disagree with that go on had Geraint Thomas not attacked and at first dropped Roglic I would agree with you I'm not sure there's that much of it I mean it's a definite advantage for Geraint Thomas that he finishes Sorry that he starts as the last rider tomorrow in the pink jersey. He will have all the references and all of that. But because Thomas was actually able to put in... He, he got in a, a good sort of swing, a punch that shocked Roglic. Roglic came back. But I think that it's it's a little bit even now in that sense. I don't think that the final little etching him out with a couple of seconds does that big of a difference if you want to stick to that theory about who, who's potentially stronger tomorrow. I don't think I don't think we've seen enough to really have a analytically have a clear opinion about that brian should we hear from a couple of people who know much more about this than us uh, than us pair of knuckleheads let's hear shall we from the two respective teams two respective direct sportifs we'll hear from mark rafe the jumbo visma direct sportif and then mateo tozato the ineos grenadiers direct sportif about today and tomorrow and well, Mark, what's the what's the verdict? What's the um, hot take on that? I mean, a couple of seconds back, are you satisfied? Uh, yeah, you always aim for more, of course, um, because yeah, we were this morning still 29 seconds back. Um, we also saw in the end uh, the situation was a bit unclear, but when we saw Cot uh, Nielsen still uh, riding there with 600 meters to go, we knew okay, the third place is still possible. Mm-hmm. Plus, the f- what means then the four bony seconds? Uh, but yeah, then also Thomas attacked, um, and we uh, TV was not working at that moment, and we were also too far back to uh, to be able to see that. But um, yeah, I mean, when the TV was working again, and they saw, we saw that Primoz was a bit behind, and we also know that he always has that final kick again. Yeah. Uh, how dead he is, he can always uh, do a really good last uh, few hundred meters, mm. and with that, he was able to pass to, uh, Thomas. Finishing three seconds ahead and uh, and too bad that he didn't uh, became third. But yeah, I think that uh, that also the mental part for sure with uh, with with place three, of with uh, with the three seconds is really nice. Thomas also went all out and in the end, uh, yeah, Primoz beated him. And I think uh, yeah, tomorrow it, it's just a race from one to one. Then you don't have a guy in front of you who you can follow. Uh, Primoz is also all the time already. Uh, yesterday he was uh, he was trying to. Uh, to, to do it on the steep part well um, uh, Thomas only had to follow and here again and yes Thomas also attacked but I think that uh, that, that part will tomorrow play, uh, play an important role and I think that uh, especially on the steep parts Primo showed that uh, yeah that he's there and yeah would you if you had seen the TV it had been working could you have told him to do anything differently in that last sort of 500 metres to maybe make sure he got the seconds no, because also Cot um, uh, Nielsen is riding for it. He, he also rode the whole day for it. And, uh, and he also saw it, that he still had something left to sprint. I mean, I think from the car, they also told him that uh, that they were coming. Mm. 
So I don't think it was just all out. I mean, also Thomas went all out, he went all out, and uh, and this is what he had left. So you also have to accept it then, and uh, and just be happy with the three seconds that he took back. Tell me about the bike change. So he, he changed to a single chainring bike, is that right? And that was specifically for the steep final climb, I guess. Um, yeah, we uh, we had it ready. I mean, we de- we never knew if the situation uh, would be able to um, to do the change. Um, but yeah. He, uh, he also trained with it uh, quite a few times uh, in the training camp the, in the last month. And, uh, and we had the idea, I, he had the idea already, but we had the idea to, um, to do the change. And, uh, and yeah, what I say, the moment was there in uh, Contina da Pezzo, we, we did it and, uh, and luckily it worked out. Will he use the same bike tomorrow on the climb, more or less? Uh, that's possible. We still have to, uh, to figure that out. Um, it's at moments uh, quite some steep and also longer so we have to see uh, what, we, what we're going to do there last thing on tomorrow Mark I remember Planche de Belfi afterwards Primoz admitted that he'd probably gone too hard on the recon um, whereas Pogacar didn't do any recon um, have you got any plans already in place for the first part of the day tomorrow uh, no not yet uh, to be honest I'm not sure yet uh, if there will be a recon or how we, uh, what the timing will be of that. And uh, I mean, for sure, he's not going to uh, to ride uphill. It's also a different climb than uh, Planche Belfield. Different percentages. It also costs quite some time. You cannot go over it. You have to go back. Um, I also don't know how the organization wants to do it. I think the start of the first rider is already quite early. Uh, we go in blocks, so we go, uh, get all that information later on this evening. And then we need to make a plan. Uh, we were there already he was there also already Viking I believe yeah yeah. but yeah, you could see what it is and in the end yeah, you just have to push the power and you have to find to get, fight against yourself and if yeah he's really a guy who's able uh, to do that so um, yeah, that's, we're just going to focus on ourselves uh, we do the best possible TT and in the end we have to see if that's enough well Matteo seeing how Geraint rode on the very steep last climb today does that give you a lot of confidence for tomorrow yeah, I'm super happy for the performance, the, the, the team. Uh, amazing performance. Uh, G, uh, I think, okay, lost three seconds, but it's super close to Rolic. Attack Rolic, following immediately after the attack. And uh, yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing for G, because in the steep, steep part for G, you know, it's, a, it's not the best for him, but in the end, they defended very well. And now it's important to stay calm and uh, focus for tomorrow. Just talk to me about the effort tomorrow and whether there is any strategy involved or is it just all-out effort from start to finish? I think the more important for tomorrow, for my opinion, the another DS, especially with the coach, uh, it's important the first part, no? the first 10 k's in the flat. Uh, be careful because not going the limit because uh, after they change the bike, uh, it's super hard. And uh, similar today, I, I think it's more hard. And they important the pace, not going in the red immediately, but in the same time go all because uh, now for G and Orology only 26 seconds is uh, the best to ride now at the moment with Almeida because Almeida is super strong, but uh, it's difficult, it's difficult because it's super steep. It's important they stay very focused uh, case by case, mm-hmm. meter for meters. I think that. It's, de- it's easy for, for the riders because it's super focused, it's a one TT. For us, it's possibly more difficult because uh, now look at the high speed, it's a put the more energy, more energy, it's a dangerous. But now I think it's important 
good feedback tonight with the G also tomorrow after the the, the recon and uh, after the recon you think you do a recon yes but I think in the car <laughs> I think it's important to go the recon in the car yeah I I, I look at the, the the crime but I think with the G tomorrow is important and tomorrow is going to be horrible for you it's going to be one of the hardest days of your life I guess yeah it's uh, horrible but uh, also it's nice because my first experience going the moto is <laughs> behind the, the the race now it's, I think uh, I think tomorrow is a very big day for for the Giro for all riders uh, especially for the guys uh, stay the play for the winner the Giro Rolly Chermeida and G and uh, I know it's very it's important waiting recover very well because I arrive very late tonight in the hotel tomorrow is a very long day but uh, G is the best for the stay calm I think uh, it's in good place Brian we well particularly the conversation with Mark Reef. I suppose when I asked him about how Primoz Roglic is going to spend tomorrow morning I was touching on or at least in my own mind I had images and I'll never forget standing at the side of the road at the Planche de Belfi on the morning of that time trial and seeing Primoz Roglic go past on his recon and seeing how hard he was going and thinking again it was just me being a knucklehead not knowing anything about cycling but it did it worried me it worried me and then sure enough in a documentary whether it was a year or several months later he he admitted that he felt the same thing in hindsight but just the mental aspect of tomorrow that's where my weather vein swings back towards Garrett Thomas because redemption well redemption I just think he's someone who's un, who will be unfazed by the occasion and I don't know if that's the case with Primoz Roglic one, one other thing I shouldn't forget, I mentioned at the start of the Giro, these are two riders who have had a lot of misfortune, been sort of bedeviled by misfortune um, for several years of their careers. They've certainly had um, bad luck in Grand Tours, particularly one of them tomorrow night is probably going to end up feeling as though they're on the wrong end of some misfortune or uh, a cruel turn of fate yet yeah. again. Yeah. And I think... You know, Roglic obviously has that maledizione, the the curse of Place de Béfi. But don't forget that also Garen Thomas has had his share of bad luck in the Giro. The Giro that um, Tau Gegenhardt won. Tau Gegenhardt was actually supposed to be Garen Thomas's helper, but Garen Thomas crashed in the stage to Etna very early on. And he had probably he was probably just as prepared for that Giro as he was for this one. And that's already quite a long while ago. And age, you can't take away that Garen Thomas is closing in on the last seasons of his career. So it's it's kind of now or never. So someone will definitely feel very unfulfilled tomorrow, slightly, potentially even heartbroken. Ryan, what do you think about this idea of hiking recons? I love this. I love this. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's so you, isn't I, it? I feel like um, pretty I much think you could beat him to it even. up the Monte Lusari has somehow entered into a, a sort of mystical symbiosis with the mountain. And I would like to think that one day very soon we'll see uh, any, in any, any time of year, you will see general classification contenders for major tours yomping up these passes um, in Italy, Spain and France because Primoz Roglic just set this fantastic precedent that hiking recons are much better than cycling if, recons. If, if he wins. If he wins, if he wins. I, well, he's certainly not going to hike tomorrow. He hiked in his preparation, as we heard in, uh, in the interview. But yeah, and interesting also if with the two different approaches, what Tosato said and what Roglic just yeah, said, 
they definitely want to do it in the car tomorrow and Jumbo Visma still wants to sort of evaluate what, what the timings etc look tomorrow I'm and when sure he says that up in the car. no you're right it depends on how early they get up but it sounds um, like the teams aren't fully in the picture about how tomorrow's yeah. going to work and it's not because of uh, let me just say that at this point it's not because Jumbo Visma is underprepared but they don't get the exact information for what tomorrow looks like until they get the bulletin for today which includes everything they need to know all the start times, all the access to the time trial. Yeah, there was a lot about it on the communique last night, which I must guiltily admit I didn't read. There was a whole page dedicated to Montelusari and the arrangements, but I think from well, what we heard there from Mark Reef, they're not they're not 100% sure how it's going to work. Brian, we talked about destiny, fate. Um, this morning, I, I'm sorry to confess, I put the kiss of death on Eddie Dunbar by making a beeline for Jayco Alula and their team manager, Brent Copeland, with the goal, the idea of talking to him about Eddie Dunbar and what a fantastic Giro d'Italia he's ridden. He's still ridden a fantastic Giro d'Italia and he's fifth on general classification. However, he did lose time today. But here is today's Chiacchierata del Giorno and it is mainly about Eddie Dunbar and it's with Brent Copeland, the Jayco Alula team manager. La chiacchierata del giorno. The team wag of the day. Well, Brent, I mean, it's been a fantastic Giro for you guys. I imagine, I imagine it's, well, it's surpassed even your wildest expectations, hasn't it? Um, yes and no. I mean, in theory, on paper, this is what we had planned uh, at the beginning of the year with the performance group. So we had an idea of coming into this Giro, winning one stage and a top ten with uh, Eddie Dunbar. Uh, in the GC but a month ago uh, we were a bit concerned because things were a bit challenging we were having a difficult time with COVID injuries illnesses in the team so the stars weren't much aligned uh, a month ago so um, yes uh, it is it's, it's been it's been a fantastic Giro two stage wins and Eddie riding so well in the GC we, we're very proud of the boys let's talk a bit about Eddie who was 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 the one voice in particular in the team that was particularly insistent about signing Eddie, about going after Eddie last year, or was it a sort of consensus? Uh, yeah, Whitey was definitely one that put his name out there first. It's uh, a rider that he, he saw and wanted on the team. Uh, we were behind that 100% from the start. Spoke to his agent, Gary McQuaid, and... Uh, yeah, the ideas from the beginning were, were clear. You know, we were looking for that kind of a rider with those kind of characteristics, and uh, worked out perfectly with uh, Jerry Ryan, our team owner, giving the the sign off on it. Um, so the ideas were clear from the start what we wanted to do with him. But but it's been impressive what he's done at this Giro. So makes it clearer for the future what we want to do with him. I mean, it's well documented that he's had very little Grand Tour experience. Um, Talk to me a bit about the sort of journey he's been on over these three weeks in terms of just growing in confidence every day, realising that he is where he belongs. Yeah, the thing that we've uh, noticed a lot is his maturity. Uh, incredibly mature, knows what he's wanting, um, but at the same time he has a calm way about it and doesn't panic at all. Uh, and this, this is a sure sign of maturity, even though it's, it's only second grand to his ridden. So that, that impressed me a lot. In 2019, he did his first Giro um, with his past team. And the thing that we were impressed with there is he came out of the third week really good. So when you come out of the third week 
of your first Grand Tour, you know that you've got the depth and you've got the quality. So we knew that you know, we could try have him ride for GC. We just didn't know if it would work out. And today is still a big day, don't get me wrong. He's still got to get through to today. But uh, as things stand at the moment, he's definitely proved us right. He's done a fantastic job. But very mature, very clear on what he's wanting and uh, speaks his mind, speaks very well to his teammates and, and a great leader. I was going to ask you about that. You say he speaks very well to his teammates because, again, not having much experience, he wasn't often in a position where he could um, or was called on to do that at Sky, Ineos. So, um, but that's something that comes natural to, naturally to him. He's a good communicator and a, a leader as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I must be honest, you know, I've been around a lot of leaders before and to see him doing his debriefs and talking in the meetings... You would never say it's his second GC, uh, second Giro, second Grand Tour, and riding his GC for the first time. You'd never say it. He really speaks uh, clearly, uh, gets the message across to his teammates um, in, in a perfect manner. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think that's also because we showed that we believed in him. We made it clear from the start when we signed him up what we wanted, what we expected of him, and what possibilities we'd give him. And when you give him that trust... You know, he's, he's pays it back in an incredible way and the teammates appreciate that as well because uh, very respectful person humble and uh, great to get on with Do you know much about his programme for the rest of the year? Will there be a second Grand Tour? Uh, there will be a second Grand Tour it's uh, still up in discussion with the performance group but uh, there will be could be, a t- could be a tired boy at the end of July <laughs> Yeah but you know he he crashed in Valenciana and broke his wrist so when those things happen at the time and I was talking to him about this the other day you often think ah oh, my season it started badly new team look at where I am I've got a broken wrist and he didn't have an easy break you know it, it, it fractured and then a week later he had to have an operation because they weren't sure how the fracture was so it took two weeks longer than the medical staff expected um, which now you can say is a blessing in disguise because he came into the Giro a little fresher than he would have if he had done his normal race program. So, yeah, those things happen and you just got to look at the glass half full and look to the, the rest of the season. And uh, he, he will be tired, but um, he did have those two months of a lot of indoor training, which is sometimes worse than training normally, but uh, he'll be good. Just last thing, Brent, um, another one of your stars on this year, he hasn't won, but Alessandro De Marchi, he's been very, well, gracious t- towards you as well. He's mentioned you on, in a number of interviews that you believed in him when other people didn't. I mean, how satisfying has the Giro that he's ridden been? Yeah, very satisfying. You know, we, we were criticised quite a lot about bringing on some older riders. We got a lot of young riders, but we brought on some old ones. We were criticised for that. I understand it. It's, it's perfectly understandable. But at the same time, you need those kind of riders with that kind of character that fits into the culture of the team, that's able to get the message across to the younger riders of, of, of how racing works, what happens in the peloton, how to look after yourself. And he's incredibly good at transmitting that message to the younger riders. So... Uh, look what he does in the breaks that he gets into uh, the work that he does it's, uh, it's, it's huge for us it's a really important part a big asset for the team and we're very pleased with the job that he's done 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, good morning to everybody. I'm uh, Valentina Zoldan. I'm, I work at the Associazione Pro Loco Lungarone. Sì. La diga è fatta da trampolino sì. e ha ehm, acquistato sempre più potenza anche vista la conformazione della, della gola, essendo stretta. La, veramente in quell'occasione ehm, abbiamo, cioè, è stato, hanno vissuto veramente la solidarietà proprio ai, ai massimi livelli. Sì. Well, Brian, that was a little audio vignette from the start of our day in Longarone. We spent uh, half an hour or so in the Museo del Vaillant, the museum dedicated to the Vaillant Dam disaster that John Foote described for us or talked about for us in last night's podcast. And it was very touching, wasn't it? Um, touching, poignant, sad, tragic. I was not prepared for the impact it would have on me. And I'd, I'd listened to the John Foote interview because you sent it to me in preparation for the Giro. But when we stood there in front of the dam, and then went to see all the you know everything that in the museum all the photos and all the children's drawings and all that i i i just i couldn't help it i had to i had to have a moment i, I it was very very touching and, and and i think also because of this year where we've seen all the floodings in reggio million we've seen how uh, how much nature can really do if if we don't respect it because this was i mean the longarona is john foot so he explains quite vividly how how there was someone responsible for that well brian i mean it was very much it was it, it was prominent in the messaging of the giro d'italia today that it's 50 years and that was why the giro d'italia went back but on the other hand the sponsor of the pink jersey exactly. is anel um the energy company it's a conglomerate that what used to be the company that was responsible for yeah, the dam yeah who's very much sort of on very much one of the accused in yeah. the debacle that yeah. was the Vaillant dam disaster and you know what struck me as well brian maybe as journalists i was particularly drawn to the the board in the exhibition which showed how the disaster was reported and the 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 delta in the estimates, I guess they were the headlines from the next day. There was built Zeitung in Germany that said, oh, 500 may be dead. And there was the Resto del Carlino newspaper in the center of Italy saying up to 4,000 dead. And the actual figure was around about 2,000. And out of those 2,500 were children or yeah, te early teenagers. And then when you think of it, imagine just if, when, when one child dies or a family member dies, how many people it actually touches when you think of it being in the thousands, how many you know, generations are touched by this even today? Brian, we were in Longarone already last night and well, that brings us to our last regular feature of the podcast. As every night, it's time for La Cena di Ieri and La Tappa di Domani. La Tappa di Domani e La Cena di Ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. 
So Brian, we were in Longarone last night and even just being in the community in Longarone and also you pointed out the architecture because obviously the place was well, it completely was completely rebuilt. It was completely flattened. So, it, it, you know, we're in a part of Italy where there is a, a very distinctive style of architecture and a lot of the villages look very similar. And then you've got this one town, which is radically, radically different. And, um, and, and I just found myself over the few hours that we were there just you know, looking at people and listening to their conversations and just, and finding myself just wondering about how the Vaillant disaster had affected their forefathers, which inevitably it had. I mean, people in the mountains in Italy don't tend to move around that much. There'll be a lot of families still living there who were living there in the 60s. And um, well, yeah, we had a I mean, as for the food, we had hearty mountain fare in Longarone, as you would expect in uh, a mountain village. Yeah, we certainly did. It was uh, it was uh, comfort food with the capital C. It really was. Kept us nice and warm. Set us up for uh, the polenta and cheese. What, they, what was the cheese called? The uh, stizzo. Stizzo was it? Yeah, it had like a. It wasn't called stiz. Stis. Yeah. Maybe Reminded stis. me of Spritz anyway. It was <laughs> the local dialect. Yeah. yeah. They were busy too at that restaurant, eh? Yes. Uh, it was a big event for Longarone, wasn't it? The Giro d'Italia coming to town. But tomorrow, Brian, is going to be an even bigger event. And before you start on tomorrow's stage and tell us about tomorrow's stage, I'm going to start by saying that it, the time trial begins in Tarvizio. And as I wrote on Twitter today, this is a very good omen for Primoz Roglic because. He was. He has been a winner in Tarvizio. It was in the 2007 Junior Ski Jumping World Championships where he won the Normal Hill Team event. And it was his last victory in, uh, in an FIS. That's the International Governing Body of Ski Jumping. It was a, his last victory in an FIS event. But Brian, he won't be ski jumping tomorrow. No, not unless he was going he'll downhill be, on yeah, the last he'll climb. He'll be cycling. Um, so... Stage 20 of the Giro d'Italia starts in Tarviso, as you said, and it finishes, finishes on top of the Montelusari. It's sort of a, a time trial in two parts, and that also is underlined by the fact that all the riders, at least the ones who are fighting for the GC or the stage win, will be changing bikes at the foot of them, where the first and yeah, the first of three time checks it will be. We've seen mountain time trials before in the Giro, and they all always they always try and outdo themselves. You know, remember one up to the um, the gravel climb up to uh, what was it called? Plan the Coronas. Exactly, to Plan the Coronas, where they were going through gravel and they had DSS mechanics on motorbikes. It's quite similar to that. It is. It's. I mean, let me just put it this way: the the cli- I mean, the the first part is pretty stock standard time trialing, and aerodynamics will play a big part. However, the seven point three kilometers up to Montelusari are really ridiculously steep you can probably compare it to the Songkulan yeah Matteo Tosato the Ineos Grenadiers direct sportif I spoke to him about this the other day and he compared it to the Bola del Mundo which is the climb above Madrid if you do the Puerta de Navacerada which is sort of made out of a concrete concrete road and we expect tomorrow to be pretty similar Brian just tell us about the gradient in that hardest portion double digits all the way so basically average of 15 average of 12.1 in total but the, the steepest part which is basically just the wall it's like uh, 
five times the Muriqui stacked on top of each other. It's so it's double digits all the way, 13, 18, 14, 17, 14, 17. And then actually, even if it evens out a little bit and there's almost like a false flat in the last three kilometers, there's a final, well, when it's yeah, one kilometer to go, there's a 22% ramp just to f- just to make sure that they they uh, they have nothing left and then it's just a tiny little downhill and a small uphill to the finish line yeah there's four kilometers there 15.3 percent average which is i mean not even the motorola will no will no, have no. that uh, difficulty no certainly not um yeah pretty extraordinary stuff in road stages when we get climbs that steep we often say that it sort of neutralizes things in a certain way and um, the time distances the time gaps are never that big um i believe well, that the beauty of, the beauty of that is daniel that the gc is so close yeah it could be a thriller for the overall win of the giro all the way to the line brian is almeida out, out of it no 59 seconds down no. i mean sort of analytically theoretically mathematically he's he's not in a good as good a position as he was because he lost that time but then again who has recovered best after today? We don't know. Who has timed their? Who will time their first part of the stage tomorrow and the last? But who will have that extra edge on, on the others? Because if you have a tough kilometer in those conditions and those steep ramps, yeah, a minute would sound like a lot in a time trial, but not in in that type of climb at the end. He's not in as good a position as the two others, obviously. But he's not. I don't think he's out of it. Another question, which will maybe answer... It's not out of it for the second place, at least. Another question, which will maybe answer tomorrow night, is if the time gap is, at the end of tomorrow, a matter of three or four seconds, will they race on Sunday in Rome? That will be an interesting question as well. My guess would be absolutely. Absolutely they will. Well, that's tomorrow, Brian. A lot could still happen, certainly on general classification. We mentioned the riders who could move up a place. Thibaut Pino, who could... Leapfrog Eddie Dunbar, get into the top five in what is going to be his last year in Italia. Pretty definitive. We had a discussion last night about, well, we both think that he should do another year. I had a long chat this morning at the start with his mum, Marie-Jeanne. The she, mother of all Alpinos. Yeah, she is absolutely adamant that another year would not be a good idea. He's got an awful lot to do to occupy him in his life. She's, she thinks that he... Well, he had it all too young, too soon, that first Tour de France that he did when he won the stage. She told me a story today about them having dinner in a, you know those awful restaurants, Courte Paille? Oh, yeah. Um, well, they're, I mean, they're not that bad. Um, they're, they're sort of motorway, roadside steakhouses in France. You see them all over the place. Not quite as often, Not they're not quite as common as Buffalo Grills, but almost. And he was sort of mobbed and they were having dinner one night um, shortly after that first Tour de France where he won the stage. And they were, he was was mobbed and she said that that was um, the moment where she realized how pressurized his life was going to be for the next few years and sure enough it's been that so she's pretty sure that Thibaut is not going to have a change of heart um he's also he's got a lot on his mind at the moment because he's got a cow who should be giving birth at any point but he's 28 days or 24 days overdue at the moment and this is the reason that Thibaut's father uh, Regis is not or has not been able to come to the Giro d'Italia so far. He was supposed to come um, yesterday, but he's back home, possibly, as we speak, delivering a, a foal. Foal? Calf. A, a bit of calf. 
What am I talking? I mean, that's embarrassing. The Dane, um, the <laughs> Dane, the whose command, whose command of English is far superior I've to mine. Better than you have, Brian. That's that is it for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow from Montelusari. Is it Montelusari or Montelusari? I'm going with Lusari because Alessandro Marchi, who is from that neck of the woods said Lusari to me in an interview earlier in the Giro but it could be Lusari I heard, I've heard a few Italians pronounce it in different ways we'll have a different answer tomorrow until then bye Buonasera Buonanotte Buonanotte The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freeb and Lionel Byrne